0: Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and that's right after the book of Judges and just before the book of 1 Samuel. So find the book of Ruth, if you will, and we'll read verses 1 of chapter 1 down through verse 5, and then we'll read verse 20 and verse 21, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, And then down we'll read beginning at verse number 20 and read through verse number 21. Tonight I want to talk to you right out of my heart. I want to help you. I, as your pastor, as a preacher, the desire, the great desire of my heart is to help God's people. My love compels me to do that. And I see every day in my life, not only here at our home front, but I see it everywhere. People making the wrong decision. People making decisions at the wrong time. And as I said this morning, announcing the message tonight, there is the possibility that often we make decisions at the wrong time in our life. And it's a very dangerous thing. You see, a decision is the beginning of an avenue or a course are a prescribed kind of conduct that we may take. It's like the guidance system that is set in a rocket. When they fire those big missiles and rockets down at Cape Canaveral, there is a guidance system in there, ere the rocket is ever fired. And that very guidance system is the thing that directs that rocket to its destination. So it is at the point of decision where our destiny often is determined. And so it's very imperative upon all of us that we indeed make our decisions in life at the right time, not at the wrong time. Let me preface again what I'm about to say with these thoughts. And that is one of the most blessed gifts And yet perhaps one of the most fearful gifts that God has ever given to mankind is the gift of the power of choice. What a gift that is. Yet what a blessing, but what a fearful thing it is to realize that our destinies to a large degree are determined by the choices that we make in life. It gives this power of choice gives to man one of the most solemn responsibilities. For you see, when we make a wrong choice, it is ours, and yet it may affect the lives of others, but it is ours to bear the responsibility of the consequence of that particular choice in life. You see, I have, as well as you have, I have the power to choose either the right Or the wrong. I have the power to either choose to love or I have the power to choose to hate. I have the power to choose to accept or to reject. I have the power to choose to be kind or to choose to be cruel. I can choose to keep selfishly or I can make a choice to give of myself, of my talent, of my possession or whatever. I have that power to choose. And as well, more solemn is this. A man has the power to choose whether heaven will be his eternal home or whether hell will be his eternal home and destiny. So thus, I must, bear, I must bear the good or the ill that comes from my choices in life. So as well, I cannot control the choices of others. Now listen to me, but I can control how I respond to others. I cannot control whether a person likes or dislikes me and neither can you. But you can choose as how you react to that whether you are going to love, whether you're going to like or accept, or whether you're going to hate or dislike or reject. Do you follow me? So I think you see along with what I'm saying uh, that this is a very solemn and indeed ought to be a very sobering thought of our responsibility. Many a life has been actually shattered and scarred and ruined because of a decision that was made in their life at a wrong time. For example, when emotions are high or low, we are the most often blinded to the far-reaching effects of our decisions. When our emotions are high or when they're low, we are most often blinded to the far reaching result of our decision. So there is indeed a right and a wrong time for us to make major decisions in life. So I want to help you, if you'll let me, and encourage you as an individual believer to be on guard, to be vigilant to be watchful in your own life lest you make a wrong decision that violates the will of God and which would bring ultimate disaster and tragedy to your life. I hope you understand the seriousness of what I'm talking about tonight. So we need indeed to consider this fact. However hasty decisions, I would add, are usually... The wrong decisions. Let me say it again. Are you listening? Look up here at me. Hasty decisions are usually the wrong decisions. However, now watch this. However, there is a time for haste in our decision when the will of God is perfectly clear and that will of God is based upon the word of God, then we are encouraged in the scripture to hastily make that decision. But I'm talking about when the word of God is not clear. When we have not the proper understanding of God's word, we need to be cautious in our decision. And yet, let me give another word of caution. Be sure that you understand what his word says. Sometimes in my own life, let me me change that. Many times in my life, I have thought, I have understood perfectly what God said. But as time moved along and I began to study the word of God more carefully and with more diligence, I came to discover that that was not necessarily what God's word was saying to me at all. So in such a case, we need to seek wise counsel. Now, for the simple reason, That you and I have the possibility of overlooking sometimes what God says that apparently is so very clear to us. Let me ask you this. Have you ever read a passage of scripture and then maybe sometime later you come back and you read that same verse and you say, man alive, I didn't see that. I didn't notice that before and yet that's the very thing. So for that reason, we need to seek wise counsel. And thus when we do, observe this, we need to be willing to be open-hearted and be willing to learn. Now some of us come to the Word of God and even to those whom we would ask counsel of and we've already got our minds made up. I mean, there's no way of changing that even though the Word of God uh, indeed needs to be considered. Now, there's some very informative and helpful passages of the scripture that would cause us to be cautious about hasty decisions, decisions that are not based upon the word of God. For example, Proverbs 14 and verse 29, listen to this. Jot them down. You won't have time to turn there, but just get the reference so you can look it up when you get home. Proverbs 14, verse 29. He that is slow, not hasty, he that is slow to wrath, is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Look, if you will in Proverbs 21 and verse five, jot it down, listen to what it says. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of every one that is hasty only to want. Again in Proverbs twenty nine verse twenty. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Now, I'm I'm reading you from the scripture. In Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse two, the wise man, the preacher says, be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Do you remember the story in the Bible of Jephthah? You remember how after he was facing the enemy and he wanted the battle so terribly bad and he said, Lord, if you'll just give me the battle, I'll offer as a sacrifice to you the first thing that I see when I come home. And there when he came home, his beautiful daughter appeared. Jephthah made a rash decision. He made a decision at the wrong time. And as a result, there came tragedy in his own family, mainly in the life of his own precious daughter. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse number 9, the scripture reads, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. I think I've given you enough scripture for you to understand that the Bible, our loving Heavenly Father, is saying to us, Be careful. Be cautious in your life because it's very likely and you stand the chance of making a wrong decision that can have such far-reaching ill effects and consequence that often those things that are damaged can never, ever be repaired. So for your sake, I want you to listen very carefully to what I say. There are some questions that are in order when you face a decision. Now get these and remember them. Mark them down if you want to. Number one, what does God say in His Word relative to the decision that I'm about to make? What does God say about it? Now, it's not what I think about it, but what does God say? Another question of the same regard. Have I considered unemotionally my decision? Have I considered it unemotionally apart and separated from high or low emotion? It's a very helpful question. A second question we need to ask ourselves when we make any kind of a decision, what is the real motive behind my proposed decision? What is my motive? Now, I know that's hard for us sometimes to really find out, isn't it? Uh, Our heart is so deceitful, it's desperately wicked, the scripture says, and we can be so easily misled. What is the real motive? For example, is the decision I'm about to make, is it for the glory of God? Will this decision that I make bring greater glory and honor to God or will it take glory away from God? Will my decision cause others to look Godward or will it cause them to look away? We need to ask ourselves as well in some decisions, is the motive behind my decision a vindictive motive? That is, am I doing this to strike out at someone? Uh, Am I doing this to hurt someone because they hurt me? How we need folks to seriously stop and consider the decisions that we make in life. We need as well to ask ourselves this question. Is this action in my life a pattern uh, is it, as I look back over my life, is this my response to certain stimuli and situations and circumstances? Look back over your life. Is this the thing that I've done over and over again? So we need to consider it. Am I often motivated then by the same emotion? Is this emotion that I feel, is this what it takes to get me to make a decision in the realm that I'm about to make it? And then again, A third question we'd ask is this, have I honestly considered the right and the wrong of my choice? Now, you say, well, one fellow can say, well, what I'm choosing is right, and yet he may be wrong. What are you going to use as a standard of judgment of right and wrong? What's the criterion of judgment between right and wrong? I'll tell you what it is. It's God's Word. God's Word, that is the criterion for the judging of right along. Number four, we need to ask ourselves this question. Have I thoroughly looked at the ultimate result on me, my family, and those who believe in me? Have I really thoroughly looked at that? Some of us never look beyond the tip of our nose. We never consider what our decision is going to do in relation on to ourselves. But what's this decision going to do in relation to my family, my children, my wife, my husband, Uh, those who believe and look up to me and respect me as a believer? What is this decision going to be as, as far as the effect in their lives? I think we need to ask as well, how will others see me? How will they look at me? How will they they judge me if I make this decision? Will they judge me as a quitter? Will they judge me as childish and immature? Or will they judge me as becoming a better Christian as a result of the decision that I'm about to make? Will it bring me closer to God? I mean, those things we need to face honestly. What I'm about to decide, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, what I'm, all of this in front of me, will it really bring me closer to God? Will it be as well a means of bringing others to Christ? Will it make me a better soul winner? Will this make me more apt to win somebody of the Christ? Will it make me a better member of the church? Will it make me a more diligent student of the Bible? Will it increase my prayer life as I pray for others in earnestness and sincerity and in humility? I think again, under the same heading, we need to ask ourselves this question. Will it be setting a good example for those who follow me? The decision that I'm about to make, would I recommend this decision to someone else? Would I make this recommendation of the decision I'm about to make? Would I recommend to this fellow if he's the one who's going to make the decision? Would I recommend it to someone else? Ah, way back in the garden, it was Cain who said, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is most certainly you are. You see, what we do must be considered in the light of not only the effect that it has on me, but what effects did it have on those around them? A family, husband, wife, children, and, and, and so forth. Now, I want you to look. You didn't think I'd ever get to the text, but I'm there now. All right, with all of that, I won't even, we won't even take up another offering for that. I'll give it free. Now, I want you to look in chapter one. Some of you look like you thought I was serious, huh? Oh, all right, look in chapter one at verse number one through five. Now, it came to pass on the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Oprah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. And Malan and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now I want you to look at verse 20 and 21. Naomi now returns after all of the tragedy that she's experienced in the land of Moab. She comes home and the people who have known her in years past, 10 years, now they see her and watch verse 20. They set, let's see, uh, we we'll look at verse uh, uh, verse 19. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now then, what you have in front of you in these verses that I've read, is the sad story of a man who made a decision at the wrong time. He made a decision now that would affect not only himself, but it would affect his wife, would affect his sons, his children, and all those indeed who knew him. Elimelech literally got out of the will of God by making this particular decision. You say, how is that? God's will for his people, Israel, was to abide in the land. The Lord had said, I will take care of you if you will abide there. But if you get out of the land, don't expect my blessing, but rather you're going to experience judgment. And so Elimelech chooses now to get out of that land that God had given to his forefather Abraham and to his children... And the Lord now, uh, 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 the Lord having provided for them. But a strange thing occurs now in the land. Did you notice when I read that there was a famine in the land? In what land? That promised land that God had promised to his people. A famine, man alive, that's a pretty tough time. You, see, you know, here's the way most of us reason. If it's good times, uh, that's an indication uh, I'm in the will of God. But if it's tough times and tough sailing and things are not going right at the house and so forth, then this must not be the will of God. Whoever told you that? The fact is, whether it's good or bad as far as circumstances, has nothing whatsoever to do with the will of God. You see, we often mistake that. Jonah undoubtedly was confirmed in his wrong decision because at first everything seemed to be going all right. When the Lord told him to go to Nineveh, he decided to go, uh, 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 where did he go? Tarshish, Tarshish. And he went down uh, and you know what he found? Amazing. Why God's in this. I I don't feel so bad now about not going to Nineveh. Why, there's a ship down here of all things. And you know his destination? Tarshish. And listen, I, 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 I can, I, I've I got enough money to pay for the ticket and surely this is God's will. Now listen, again, folks, listen to me. The only way you can discern basically the will of God is by the word of God and through honest, sincere prayer before him and by the direction of the Holy Spirit within. So yet we think, oh, well, Things are not going too good, so God must not be in this. How many times when there is a famine, emotionally, in our will, our mind, anyway, our first decision, you know what it is? Get away from it. Hey, Elimelech wasn't the first fellow to do this. There's a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham fell into the same tough times in the land. Back in Genesis chapter 12, you can read it. When God had so miraculously brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, provided for him miraculously, and now he gets up there, and all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land. Up till now, I imagine if you'd have said, Abraham, you're in the will of God. Man, am I. God taking care of me. Looky here, all the things he's given me. But ah, before he knows it, there's a famine. You know what he did? He did a similar thing to Elimelech. He went down to Egypt. Now, not only was Abraham, and that's where he lied about Sarah being his wife, said, she's my sister. You see, when you get out of the will of God, it's no telling what you'll do. You'll lie, cheat, steal, cuss, drink, do anything else. And so Abraham got off down there away from God and he starts lying about his relationship with his wife and lo and behold, listen, uh, uh, the, the old king may have believed that, but listen, God didn't believe it. And God sent a plague upon the land of Egypt until the king himself said, Abraham, take your wife and your belongings and get out of here. God's gonna kill us if you don't. There's nothing more dangerous than to be in the boat with a backslider. And Jonah's crowd found that out too. There's nothing more dangerous for your home than for you to be out the will of God. There's nothing more dangerous for our church than for us to be out the will of God. So the whole story is, here, uh, Elimelech, uh, just like Abraham, his father Abraham, he decides to go down uh, into the land of Moab. God said, no, I will for you step there. You see, isn't it amazing how we can trust God with the destiny of our soul? But then when a certain rough set of circumstances come up, man, we get on another, God can't take care of that. Who said he couldn't? Listen, God can handle the situation. If you can trust your eternal destiny to him, why not trust him with the troubles and the trials and the adversities that come in life? Ah, those trials, listen to me, are God's proven ground of whether our trust in him is real or not. And so Elimelech said, well, Naomi, we better go down to Moab. Now Moab, by the way, are the descendants of of Lot's, daughter whose son that who started the Moabites was conceived by uh, Lot himself. Lot lay with his own daughter and uh, she conceived and here are the Moabites. Always a thorn in the flesh, to Israel. And so uh, they go down to the land of Noah. But notice what they did. Did, uh, did you notice this? They went to sojourn in the land. See, the idea was, now I'm not going to really get taken in with this Moabite craft. I'm just kind of going to detour just a little, then I'll come back. See, uh, one little drink won't hurt. Uh, one, little, one little shot of dope won't hurt. I, you know, I'm not planning to stay down there and waller in the gutter and be a dope addict. One night in a parked automobile with a young man and a young woman, and the young woman winds up pregnant. No, you didn't plan to stay there. You see, that's the, that's the subtlety of sin and the flesh. We never plan on becoming the kind of person we are. But where does it all start? It starts when we make a wrong decision at the wrong time when pressure is on and we say, man, I've got to get down there or, or we're going to starve to death. I'm just going to perish and dry up and, dry and blow away. But you see, by Elimelech going down to the land of Moab, tragedy followed him. Tragedy followed, him. Tragedy followed him. When they got down there, Elimelech himself died. is a widow now. If that's not enough, her own two sons die, Malan and Chilean. She's gone out there and dug a hole in the earth, planted her husband, planted her two sons. But see, before the sons died, these children of God married Moabitish girls. They went down the land and married heathen girls. You see what Elimelech's decision brought about? A wrong choice out of the will of God, unwilling to trust God to solve his problem. And listen, if God could feed a bald-headed prophet by a brook, by ravens, and so forth, he could take care of Abraham in a land of famine. But the devil said, hey, you're going to perish, man, you're not going to make it. You better get out of here. You better, you better hightail it. And often... We listen to that. Poor Naomi now comes home. Her husband dead, left buried. Her children. She comes back home finally, and the friends see her. And there's a there's a pathetic tone in their question. Is this Naomi? Is that is that Naomi? Man, alive. She don't look like herself. She went away from here, pleasant and beautiful. And that's what the name Naomi means. Oh, how pleasant is the person's life who lives his life in the will of God. But it listen, it, it, it tells on you. I've seen the face of the harlots and prostitutes in New Orleans. And their features betray their terrible lifestyle. The man whose heart is filled with hatred that soon shows. The person who's filled with lust and jealousy and greed and anger, it soon reveals itself and makes its deep furrows in our own expression. So they said, is that Naomi? And when Naomi answered, she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. God dealt so harshly with me. A haggard, broken, poor soul. Why? I'm going to tell you why. She stepped out of the will of God. Yes. Her husband has a great responsibility. And every husband in this house has responsibility. You have a responsibility in relation to your family. Relation to those indeed that God has entrusted into your hands. So don't make a decision in your life at the wrong time. Or I I could say it like this. Don't make a major decision when your decision maker is broken make our decision, our decision maker is just not in any kind of shape to even make the decision in the first place. That happened to Abraham and Sarah when they went off down there on the land. Abraham's decision maker is broken. He lost his faith and confidence in God, that God who had said, I'm the almighty God, I'm El Shaddai, I'm your mother, I'm the supplier, I'm your everything, I'll take care of you. Abraham lost that. So don't make a decision when your decision maker is broken. First of all, let me give you one or two and I'll wind her down. Don't make a decision, a major decision when times are tough. When they're tough, don't, don't, don't succumb to making your choice when times are tough. Uh, I wonder, would we have anything like missions today as we have if Adniram Judson had said, man, it's just too tough over here. I, I can't take this. What if David Livingston had felt the same way? Times are tough. I think of dear old Dr. Harold Seitler in Greenville. There was a time when Dr. Seitler buried his precious daughter dead from an awful car accident in Greenville. Yet here was a man, times are tough. I remember seeing him and his wife and some of the friends around and they were grief stricken. Dr. Seitler could have said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna quit. Times are tough. I can't take this. This way God's going to treat me, I'm through. Oh, what our country would have lost in effective ministry through Dr. Seitler if he had succumbed to that. I think of Dr. Lee Robertson, who had the joy of preaching in meetings for at Highland Park when he is there. This man of God who stands so tall for the glory of God today and still up in his 80s preaching, just going here and there. There was a time when Dr. Robertson laid to rest one of his precious little infants. What if he'd said, hey, boy, times are tough. God treat me rough here and I'm through. You think of all the lives that have not been influenced for God if he had done so. I think of J. Harold Smith. Many of you know of Dr. Smith. I remember the time when Dr. Smith's little boy burned to death in his garage. A, t- a can of gasoline. He's playing with matches and threw him in there. Thing exploded. Little son, little son, just burned to death. Harold Smith could have said, "Listen, times are tough, boys. God take my little boy." Seidler could have said, "Took my little boy." Doctor Robinson said the same thing. Dear, uh, the great preacher of the past, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was afflicted with illness himself and often had to go down to Mentone, France uh, because of nervous disorders. And there his wife was uh, almost uh, as well as bad off as he was. And yet here this man shook two continents for God and a man would preach weekday nights to an audience of four to 6,000 people. What if he had said, man, they're too tough. I'm gonna give up. Thank God men of that caliber did not don't give up, don't make decisions when times are tough. Don't make, secondly, don't make decisions when you're discouraged and depressed. I've known preachers who've done that. I know a preacher right now whose life could have counted much for God. He started out, had great promises, church going, and all of a sudden, something little something happened in the church. And in a childish way, he stood and said, well, I'm through, that's the way y'all feel I'm through. Until to this day, that man's ministry has never had any lasting effect. He's never really left a great impression for God. I want to tell you something. You make the wrong decision when you're discouraged. And my friend, listen, I mean, things can be tough. I mentioned Dr. Robertson a minute ago. You know, you know the difference between men like Dr. Robertson and these kind of fellows I just mentioned? Dr. Robertson had that staying ability. And indeed, when things were going smooth, He didn't think about leaving. And when things were not going so good, he knew he was in no shape to make the right decision. But so often that's the way we get discouraged, we get depressed, we get upset, and then we make that tragic decision that shatters our lives. I've been in the ministry 40-something years. I've pastored four churches and I have never in those days, I never left one of those churches when I was discouraged, downhearted, or when there were tough times. And by the grace of God, I'll never do that. I'd never do that here if we ever come upon tough times. I've left when I've tried to leave them in good shape. Churches I've gone to didn't have a dime in the treasure and when I leave, $20,000, $25,000 left. That's when i think about leaving. Now, I don't mean by that y'all quit giving. But uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, we, we don't need to make a decision of major consequence when we get discouraged. And furthermore, in the third place, don't make a major decision when you're backslidden. When, you, uh, when you've gotten away from God. A, a young preacher came to a preach friend and said to him, oh, he said, I just don't know whether or not I'm called to preach. And the preacher said to him, said, well, uh, did you ever know? Oh, yeah, he said, a couple of years ago, I knew God called me to preach. And this preacher friend said to him, well, son, said, uh, I want to ask you this. When you knew you were called to preach, were you a better Christian then than now when you don't know whether you're called to preach or not? Oh, he said, I was a far better Christian back then. He said, son, you ought to preach then. Go to it. Don't make a decision when you're out of the will of God, when you've drifted away away from the Lord. Don't make that decision when you're back then, And then maybe I ought to say this. I don't know if uh, we got any college students here, but... Don't make a decision when you're homesick. Don't make a major decision when you're homesick. Uh, I mean, that's easy to do. Uh, I've been away means meetings. I'll never forget it. was out in California once in some meetings. I was out there how long? A month, honey? I don't remember. A month or two, a month or two or three weeks. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to tell you about the third week of that meeting, Brother Charlie i gonna tell you, I was, my decision was, I'm going home. I'm canceling this next meeting. I, I ain't staying out here anymore. I was so homesick. Ah, oh, listen, I could die. I could have died. I was kind, of like, kind of like that fella went to a restaurant, and he sat down at the restaurant all mad looking and downhearted, and the waitress came out, and she said, Sir, uh, what would you have? He said, I want two fried eggs. And he said, Burn them. Burn them to Chris." And he said, I want two strips of bacon. He said, burn them. And he said, I want some toast. And burn it black. And she looked at him and said, well, is that all? He said, no. He said, if you don't mind, ma'am, would you come back and sit down across this table and mess your hair up real good and sit there with a snarl on your face looking at me? I'm so homesick I could die. Oh, listen. Ah, but don't make a decision when you're homesick. Everybody goes through that time in their life, a period of loneliness when we are so downhearted when we're homesick. Sometimes we get, we get homesick for the old days, don't we, folks? Us old folks know that, don't we? You know, we say, man, alive, things are just not like they used to be. I'll tell you, things have changed. I got news for you. You have too. Do you know that? I wish goodness my wife would throw away some of them old pictures we got at the house of yesterday's. I reckon she just hates me. The reason she keeps them around, I don't know. But anyway, I got one out the other day when I was about 16 years old. I stood, I held that thing up and looked at it in the mirror. I stood there and looked in the mirror. And I said, great, guns, I can't believe this. I said, man, I have changed. Uh, I'm a whole lot handsomer now than I used to be, you know, and, I mean, just in a whole lot better shape, boy. You know, yeah, Bob. I, I think, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? But you see, things change, and and things will never be like they used to be, folks. They'll never. Kid goes away to college, and uh, gets home and says, well, come home. He comes home, but it's not like he used to be. Never will be. And we just need need to realize that and move ahead for God right now and do what God would have us do this moment, not worrying about yesterday and how things have changed. We all have changed. Then let me suggest this. Don't make a major decision when you're hurt. How easily we make the wrong decision when we're hurt. Our feelings get hurt. We're hurt because somebody misunderstood us. We're hurt because we feel somebody neglected us. We feel we're hurt because we feel like somebody got it in for us. Man, listen, don't make a decision. Then for God's sake, are y'all listening to me? Listen, I, I, you know, you don't, to, you don't want to know why I'm kind of stirred up about this. In the last two or three weeks, I've had people call me and say, preacher, I would to God I'd would listen to you. I wish I'd listened. Well, listen, why don't you listen, folks? Do you ever hear anything the preacher says? Oh, that we'd hear what God is saying to us from his word. He loves us folks and he don't want us to get off on the wrong track and off down in Moab and off down in Egypt like old Abraham was and foul up and mess up our life. Then let me say something else. Don't make a decision. A major decision when you're angry. I'm sick and tired of you. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna find me another man or another woman. I don't know hardly any women who don't get sick and tired of their husband. If if the truth is known, men, probably in this church, we could all live in the barracks together if that were the real case. But what I'm saying is, uh, that's not a time to make a major decision. Angry. Now listen, do you realize that 80 from, I'd say 90%, 90, 80 to 90% of the problems that we generate ourselves are generated because of an angry spirit. And many times we, 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 we make our decision anger and we don't even realize we're angry. There's a bitterness that's gripped us for years and it lies buried beneath the surface in our life and we act and react and, and move in life because of an ugly anger that is so resident within us. Well, you say, preacher, if I don't know what's there, how am I going to find out? Talk to God about it. Kind of put some analysis on your decision. Why did you react like that? Why do you always react like that? Why did you say that? Why did you feel like that? Where does all that come from? It came from somewhere. And so much we don't. We need to realize. Don't make a decision. You see, Cain slew his brother in a fit of anger. He anger. He'd been rejected by God and he grew angrier still and finally he murders his own brother. Now that's, I mean, that's the tragedy of making decisions when you're angry. I think of Paul and Barnabas, great missionaries. You know, we want to think of Paul as some kind of perfect God, but he wasn't my long shot folks. Neither will any any of the New Testament characters. They were just like you and me, imperfect. I mean, very likely to make the wrong choices. There came a time when Paul and Barnabas, though they had labored together, when they had a differences of difference of opinion. Uh, John Mark was uh, Barnabas's uh, what was it Be his nephew. And so Barnabas said to Paul on on the second missionary journey. He said, "Now, Paul," he said. Uh, Got a promising young man here, John Mark. And I, I want us to take him on this second journey. And Paul said, No. Why is that? Well, he, he left us before. Paul said, No. Barnabas said, Yeah, you got to take him. Got to take him. And finally, the Bible said, And there was no small dispute among them. I mean, boy, it got kind of tough. I mean, tempers got to flare it. You know what happened? Barnabas said, Okay, if you're not going to take him with us. I ain't going either. And so he took off in another direction took John Mark with him. I got news for you. Search and see if you can find any other information about Barnabas after that. Now I'm going to tell you something. The danger is folks that we make decisions at the wrong time in our life and it damages our ability to serve God and count for God in the day's end. Can you imagine what God could have done through Barnabas had he not made a wrong decision when his heart was filled with anger. Don't make a decision a made decision when you're enticed. Balaam, that great Old Testament evangelist, remember him? And the folks from Moab, by the way, they came up and said, hey, was it Moab or Ammon? uh, Moab, Ammon. And the Ammonites came up and said, Balaam, we want you to come down and uh, be our preacher. Uh, Now, See, Balaam didn't bite it off all at one time. He said, Oh no. But he said tell you, what you you fellas spend the night here. You've been nice. You come over here and ask me to come in. Listen, any Bible-believing preacher knows you ain't got the business preacher's a bunch of folks who don't believe the Bible. But they said they came back a second time and said, Now look, Balaam, you can man, you can preach the truth down here. Uh, You can preach the truth down here just as well as you can't listen. It's not a matter of whether you can preach the truth or not. It's a matter of obeying the word and the will of God. The Lord said, I mean, get away from that crowd. Have nothing to do with it. Those who deny the faith. And finally, watch him. They come back. And I can hear them saying, they offered him honors. They offered him all kind of things come down. And I imagine they came and said, now, Dr. Balaam. Dr. Balaam. I'm not a doctor. Oh, but uh, we're going to make you one. And a lot of that, but we're going to give you a lot of treasure. Man, you're going to have it made if you come down more. Balaam made a tragic decision, though he even voiced the fact that God told him not to do it. But he went ahead anyhow. He was enticed. He had such a great offer of great advantage, of great honor, of great uh, 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 expansion, and thus he abandoned the will of God. Listen, it is never, ever right to do wrong to get a chance to do right. It's never right. And so he went ahead. Now, I've got to close it. I've got to close. <clears throat> I say this particular for our young people. Never make a major decision. Look, look up here. Never make a major decision when you're passionate. Many a young man and woman has made the wrong decision relative to marriage under the heat of passion. Don't, listen, don't, young man, don't propose to her when she's her prettiest. Wait till she gets her hair rolled up in snuff cans and comes in with an old greasy, old greasy bathrobe on and, and uh, no makeup on. Uh, wait till, wait till it did. I mean, passion can so overwhelm that uh, you'll make the wrong decision. Uh, don't don't propose to her, fellas. When uh, when it's seventy five degrees and you're sitting out on the bench and the gentle, smooth, gentle breeze is blowing, and and uh, uh, don't do it. <laughs> Wait till it gets about ten below zero and about four foot of snow, and uh, then uh, I mean that'd be more than half time to do it. Uh, don't do it when the moon is full. Now wait, wait! you you've got a little bitty part of the moon up there. At least don't—I mean—give yourself a chance, man, for heaven's sake. Don't, don't uh, propose when the violins are playing. Uh, wait, uh, wait till passion has its time to move away. You know, I guess what I'm saying is, don't propose when you're all goo goo over her. Get wait till you get ungoo goo, and that'd be soon enough. Get I mean, get that goo-goo stuff out. Uh, in other words, uh, you wish you had one of these things in other words. Now let me say something. You, you know, young man, you don't know another person after two months of courtship. You don't know them well enough to marry them. You better give yourself some time or you're going to have some time. I mean, you know, lifetime. But in other words... What I'm trying to say is there are wrong times to make major life-changing decisions. And then certainly we should not make them when we're impatient. Abraham and Sarah did that. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a boy. He even told Sarah and she kind of giggled about it. Can you imagine this? Here's, I don't know their ages. Say, here's 40-year-old Abraham and he says 30-year-old Sarah. God's gonna give us a little boy. Oh, that's great. Fifty-year-old Abraham says to forty-year-old Sarah, "You know what? God's gonna give us a little boy." Can you uh, come on down the line? Here is here is almost a hundred-year-old Abraham to ninety-year-old Sarah, and he said, "You know what? God's gonna give us a little boy." I imagine Sarah would have said, "Well." Oh, Buster, it's too late for me. I'm going to tell you that now. But Abraham wouldn't believe God. And Sarah said, Abraham, let's help God out. we got to move this thing along here. After they had gone down in Egypt, you remember, Abraham then brought a little Egyptian maid by the name of Hagar. And Sarah said, why don't you go into her? And thus he did. And she conceived, bore a child. He was a son. His name was Ishmael. But God's promised seed was through Isaac. But you watch the consequence of a wrong decision. Even to this day, the Arab-Israeli conflict rages. It's Jordan against Israel, Israel against Israel, Syria against Israel, Israel against Egypt, Egypt against Israel, Israel against Egypt. And listen, there's no Republican, there is no Democrat, there's no Independent, there is no United Nations, there is no force on this earth that's going to settle that situation until King Jesus comes back and sets it right. For both of those sons have a claim, a legal claim on that land. Both of them are sons of Abraham. And they're going to be squabbling and fighting and fussing and fuming. And look at all the chaos. Our world sets on a powder keg. You know why? A man made a wrong decision at the wrong time in his life. Well, you say, preacher, I tell you I've got to, i I've got to see, I've got to make it right now. No, you don't. Not in your shape, you hadn't. In other words, go to someone, go to someone whose decision maker isn't broken. Go to go to someone who has gained a little wisdom through the course of years. Oh, you say, I ain't going to him. I ain't going to ask him nothing. I've got folks like that right now. I'm not necessarily talking about in our church. I, well, some of them are, but they, I mean, have been. But I, I, people right now say, I ain't going to talk to him. Why? I know what he'll say. I know what he'll say. Uh, well, uh, anyway. Anyway. What I'm saying is this: You need to find something. I'm not listen. I'm not any smarter. I don't know any more. I don't have any more wisdom than anybody else in this church. But I want to tell you something. I've been dealing with people for forty something years in my life, and by accident, a fella can't help but discover some truth in forty years, even if he didn't try. And yet, a lot of these are no. I'm going to talk I had a woman tell me the other day. Uh, no, my husband not going to come see you. And I said, Why is that? Well, he's knows what you're going to say he knows what you're telling and listen if I know my heart I'm going to tell you what God said and you have a uh, listen you check it out for yourself the whole story is folk listen oh listen if I could just if I could just somehow get you to understand your preacher's heart and get you to understand that there is danger ahead in our lives as individuals as families as, as a community when we face decisions and we make them at the wrong time God help us no, we don't have to make them right now. Just sit tight. Abraham, if you just sit tight, God would take care of you. Elimelech, that lands, fam- there's famine, but Elimelech, God will take care of you if you just stay at his will. Don't jump out of God's will. God will take care of you. Thank God for that. Let's pray. Precious Father every day of our life we face decisions. Some of them we know are perhaps not as of great and major consequence as others. Some of them we consider as minor. But Lord, there are major decisions that we often face. Things that will determine our usefulness. Will determine our testimony. Will determine whether or not you're glorified. in Lord Jesus, Oh, help us, help us to believe you. Lord, to know that you will take care of the situation in our families and our personal lives and on, on our jobs, our church, in our school. Lord, just help us to trust you and to wait upon you. And you said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strengths. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Lord, help us to learn how to wait. Now dear Father, there are some who need to make decisions hastily tonight. In haste. For some right here in this audience may not know Jesus as their Savior. Some are lost. May they come to you tonight in haste knowing that we're sinners headed for hell and our only hope is in Christ. May that person who needs you come now. And may that Christian who may be on the verge of making the wrong decision, may they surrender to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You've been mighty patient. I don't normally preach this long on Sunday night. But this thing is really, I mean, it's just really, I've had so many people. And I'm not just talking from our church. I get calls every week from all over the country. And, and, and people are, are, are so prone to make the wrong choices. And I trust that tonight it's been a word of caution. What I say to you as our people is, uh, is because I love you and I want you to know and have God's best in your life. I don't want, you, I don't want the devil and I don't want the flesh and the world to cheat you. But how easily they can if we make the wrong choice. Tonight, as we sing this hymn of invitation, you may be here, you're unsaved. You need to trust Christ as you say, Why don't you do it? Come and meet me right here. If you're here tonight, you're a Christian, you've drifted away from God and maybe almost at the point of making the wrong choice, why don't you come and say, Lord, here I am. I know what your will is. By your grace, I'm gonna do it. Let's sing the first stanza, just as I am without a plea. You come while we sing it.